So uh, the last time I, I saw you, Peter, was uh, was on the floor of the Stock Exchange, and uh, I was I pulled up for a interview with uh, Cheddar Media. Cheddar had you know was based on the floor, and it was my first time on on the Stock Exchange on the floor, and the rush, and I was just blown away by energy and the people and it'll be it'll be quiet at times and then things are just like we'll be talking you came over you were so friendly you came over you introduced me gave me a, <laughs> a tour which was so sweet of you and uh you left a, a really great impression and there would be we'll just be a little conversation and bam so i don't even know what and explode and then a few minutes later it'll be calm again um so anyways it, it was it was really truly an incredible experience and i'm, I'm so glad and fortunate that you're able to make some time uh during this Absol- uh, absolutely you know it's what you describe is why i'm there you know what you describe is you know i always say that um if you find something you love to do you'll never work a day in your life from yeah. the day i walked down there in 1985 i felt that energy the magic in that room i'm a big fan of history and people who have walked the walk before me right and have been in you know in the room where it happened as it were to quote hamilton right yeah, and, true. Uh, Great and play. so that energy for me is the most important thing. And the human element is the most important thing. That's where I get my adrenaline and my, you know, and to have found a career and a place where that's what defines us is it. I mean, it's so much a part of your message too. It's the human element, right? That's what it's all about. It's sharing oh, the human experience. Not, it's not about who, who dies with the most toys. It's really about <laughs> how many people's lives we can move and change while we're here, right? And that's what, that's what I felt from you. So I guess that's where we click. Amen to that, brother. I, I, I feel the same. I feel the same. And it seems like you do have a way of bringing such a humane feeling to and connection to this market, which I think a lot of people feel like there's a disconnect, right? The people feel like it's just, you know, it's numbers, it's money. It's, it's a very cold, you know, ruthless, um, you know, profession. Um, how did you, how did you, you know, someone like you find yourself in this world and, and be able to see this beautiful way of looking at things. So, you know what, it was not particular, it was not going to be my original destination. You know, I could give you a little background on me. My parents are Holocaust survivors. They came here in 1949. Uh, my father was a doctor, fairly well became, went on to become a well-known doctor. Uh, my roots are in Eastern Europe, um, yeah. Eastern European Jewry. And, um, uh, so, you know, I was brought up on the Upper West Side in New York. You know, I, I went to a good school. I did have a privileged background. But, you know, for me, history and tradition and the human element is, my father was a humanist, right, as a doctor, having mm. survived four years in the camps, both parents, and um, having lost most of their family members, you know. I mean, I'm sure you've interviewed and spoken to other people, whether they're second generation or first generation. That, that obviously creates the life that you lead, right? And it can, it can create, you, 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 you come to a crossroads where your path, that, that can, that can um, uh, define you in a sort of a dark way, right? There are many people who came out of that experience and had children like myself uh, who were second generation who ended up with, with a different experience, you know? Um, you know, that... To have lived through that experience, as my parents did, um, there are two, two paths you take. There's one where it ends up defining you in a dark place, where you are sort of ghettoized in your mind, and you end up being sort of an angry person, or you realize that, depending on where, where your life led, or you end mm. up being like my parents, 
who found each other at the end of the war uh, in a displaced persons camp, and Ahmed fell in love, came here to the States. I get emotional, I'm gonna talk about it. Um, uh, you know, it came here beautiful. and found their dream, found their American dream, right? And inspired yeah. that and instilled it in me and my brother. It didn't go the same, it, 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 um, so that, you know, to, to, to trust in other people, to, to uh, you know, that's, that's a rebirth, you know, that's mm. a, that's a um, yes, to have Absolutely. been able to come here, right? So it's a matter of what you do with all that stuff, right? And so I feel, and I think it's sort of a guy, God's guidance in so many ways that I, that I found my way down to a place where the human element is what really thrives, right? I, I know what you're talking about, that Wall Street is, can be intimidating to the general public, and people have an image of people who are just, it's all about money, and it's, you know, there's a detachment from the humanist point of view and whatnot, but yes. I, I must uh, 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 sort of separate that there are parts of the business. Um, the upstairs, you know, there's, so the, the floor of the stock exchange, we call the street, right? It's not your MBAs, and it's not your investment bankers, and it's not people that whether you've met them or not are sort of the upper crust of the upstairs business uh, where it's just about numbers and money and there's not a lot of human interaction, right? The floor of the stock exchange historically, since it opened in 1903, and even when they were trading stocks out at the Buttonwood tree out front of Wall Street before the building was built, was, a, was based on human interaction, right? You know, Jews particularly have always been in that trade, right? We're traders yeah. by yes. nature, right? And the human interaction has been our history for a long time. So the floor of the stock exchange, whether it was, it was Italians, Irish, and Jews who came together, who had, who, who were um, people, 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 right? You know, that was what brought us together. And historically, it's been an incredible place where your grandfather worked there, your father worked there. It was, there was, that's how you got the job down there. It was a family business in the beginning. It was not my right. experience because my parents didn't come from there. So right. my path brought me there through lots of things I've done throughout my life. I had a record store in New York. Uh, I ended up living in West Africa for a few years. And then I yeah. came back to the States in, in, in 85 and I got a summer job on the floor of the stock exchange. And from the minute I got there, I knew it was the place for me. That's 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 so wild. I mean, that, that that's that's truly incredible. I mean, I could totally see you. I could see you quite vividly behind, you know, rocking out in a record store on Bleecker Street. That's you know, that's a vibe I get from you tremendously. And and uh, and also, I, I've experienced you on the on the floor of the stock exchange, and and you still have that incredible charisma and like that. I would say I don't really want to like that. It's like this hippie love type of vibe to you. Um, but of course, a lot of people know you as like the Einstein of Wall Street, which, you know, your handle on Instagram goes by. And for obvious reasons, right. you do have a certain like doppelganger lookalike of, of, of Einstein himself with the, the crazy white hair mm -hmm. going about it. The, um, was that something that was intentional that that brand come about through you saying, hey, you know what, I got to pivot, I got to I got to build my own brand? Or did that just happen naturally through, through the press? So, you know, the the Einstein part of it, I didn't always look like this. There are pictures that I did. I look, I'm a, I'm a kid of the 70s, right? Yep. So there were my hippie days for sure. And um, I did have very, very long hair. But the Einstein thing sort of came about sort of 
organically in a way. Obviously, I lost my hair. I, I, I like, you know, that I'm not your Goldman Sachs look. I'm more <laughs> of sort of the eclectic guy on the floor. Um, I was actually na named, uh, uh, dubbed Einstein by Erin Burnett, who's now CNN reporter. She used to work on the floor. And, um, you know, the hair is just something that came. I look like my father. My father looked like Einstein. My father loved Einstein. He has, we have a house full of incredible photographs of Einstein from back in the day. I don't purport to be anything as bright and smart as he, but surely the look has helped my brand. Um, and it's something that's sort of grown organically. You know, it's, uh, it was a name that I was given. It was a, it's a persona I took on in so many ways. You know, there, uh, down there, you know, you can be, I like to stand out, right, for, for good things. I like to stand out. I love to create, motivate, and inspire other people. And that's the wonderful thing about branding and marketing is that you can, if you have a message that you want to give, and I didn't always have this message, but I've learned through, you know, the journey I've had. It's not always been an easy journey, you know, and in the last number of years, I've lost a lot. I've lost my mother, my father. My brother died of pancreatic cancer at the oh, age of 61. My wife, my, thank you. My wife had cancer and I just survived three months of COVID. So, you know, and I've had a rough battle and I'm still suffering from it at all. So it's a matter of how you take the, 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 the cards you were dealt. And, and this is all inspiration I've learned from other motivational people like yourself is that if we define ourselves by the dark side, then it doesn't, we really, we don't end up being able to share our experience, strength and hope with others. Right. You know, if life gives you lemon, life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Right. That's right. I mean, I don't often use that line, but, you know, how I can I can let this these waves of this tsunami of grief and darkness and, and and stress and whatnot, whether it's financial, emotional, or spiritual, define me in a negative way. Or I can take that and I can turn it around and try and share it, which and inspire other people, which is something that you do. So I think that's where our connection is. So I've taken this brand and I'm trying to do it, whether it's inspiring people to find something they love to do and follow that journey to realize it's not a matter of how many times you get knocked down, but how many times you get back up, right? Yeah. To educate people about what to find what they love to do. And so, you know, when you have that brand as you have, yes, you know, it's amazing when people latch on, they love the charisma, you know, people love that people who are not like us, love to find that inspiration in someone and if we have a good message there are plenty of people who are likely to have a, a negative message it's and true. people go down that path too i feel blessed that uh, i have this persona and brand and my message has sort of been formed to be a positive and one about inspiration and that i can now use this to go farther and and and, and, and motivate others so, I mean, I, I, I love that. And that's 100%. There, there has been, and I think it's difficult sometimes for people who are charismatic and have this incredible energy because what happens is, is you sort of become a magnet and you have all these sort of doors open up for you because you can sort of find yourself in different scenarios and places and use that energy uh, to do pretty much anything, right? In a positive way, a negative way, it can be easily, you know, sometimes, you know, negative energy has quicker results and it could be, you know, low-hanging fruit and you could sort of find yourself. I know for myself, I was, you know, had those challenges to go down those roads. Um, but to decide and say, you know what, I'm going to decide to use my energy for positivity and, and to spread that, that kind of message for others and, and for yourself, um, that takes a lot of uh, strength and courage to do that. 
Um, so I, I mean, I commend you for for taking making those choices and and using that using that purpose. Thank you. I think you know. Go ahead. You were gonna say yeah, that. yeah. No, no. Go for it. No. So you know, it's. I mean, it's. You know, I, I kind of look at it as higher powers and lower powers. You know, it's funny when you, as you describe, you know, there are definitely negative forces that come at you. You know, we. I was talking with someone yesterday when you start going out on social media and putting yourself out there. They're going to be haters, right? Yeah. You know, there are people who are going to just, you know, question my motives, right? There are going to be people who are, you know, just or jealous, you know, or envious. Two, two qualities which I, I've learned in my journey are really have no good to them at all, sure. right? And if, you know, and, in, and I've learned in my, my life, my brother who passed and was, was a, quite, quite a, a substantial human being, really felt that, it, that, you know, the journey of life is one where you can uh, take every opportunity to interact with another human being and you'll be in the light. It's almost like in the Kabbalah says also that, you know, when my father was a deep humanist, he was a firm believer. He lived to be 97. Uh, he became a very well-known doctor. Uh, he was a famous dog diagnostician from around the world. He spent much of his life doing service. Um, we traveled as children to Indian reservations, to Israel, to other places where he, uh, to Guatemala, where he did service as a doctor. As, wow. from when I was 11 years old, 12, 13, he spent much of his life being of service to other people. And he, you know, and, and he, he, his form of medicine was a form of humanism. And at the end of his life, and he's written a number of books about his experience, he wrote a book called um, Remember My Stories of Survival about, while the Holocaust, as we know, was such a dark, brutal time, he, he told his stories of survival, as yeah. opposed to people who wanted to tell their, 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 um, their dark tales. He was able to find with, you know, there were two paths. He could have ended up being killed along with so many members of his family, but he found it inspiring to write about the stories of survival, where the crossroads came that his, that, that where, where he ended up being able to, uh, the things that happened, the, the alignment of the spiritual forces that made him end up going on to being a, a positive person. So, yeah. you know, that, which you also share that, you know, we can, I'm a big team player. You know, there are things that I do well that are part of my makeup. But I don't purport by any means to be, you know, a, a one-man show by any means. And in all the recent journey that I've taken, in any project I do, anything that I do to try to inspire young people and whatnot, I like to bring together teams of people who are specialists, right? We all have different qualities. Sure. And so I, I, like to, I like to walk the walk and talk the talk, you know. So, so I mean, you did touch on the idea of, like, you, you just not did it. You had, you got into Corona, COVID-19, you had it yourself. And coupled with the with with this floor being closed, and the the passion, the love you have for it, and and the and the drama and and the and the energy, how did you get your fix? And how did you get through this period of time during this lockdown, during this quarantine period, uh, to keep your spirits up and to stay positive? I you know I need to be uh, I have to be honest. So um, I got sick on March thirteenth. I was separated from my wife and daughter, who I we sent upstate because my wife had. Uh, had been ill last year, and so she was high risk. So yeah. we were fortunate. My parents had a home up in in, in uh, upstate where I sent her. Um, I was isolated in New York, so I got it on the early side. Right yeah. on, uh, I, I confirmed diagnosis on March twenty third. 
And I ended up having two, two and a half plus months of severe, severe illness. With, with, I ended up developing meningitis. I had nerve damage. I have wow. a now collapsed cervical spine due to the stress and inflammation of the virus. I have memory loss. So it was a long, brutal road that I'm still suffering from. Unfortunately, this morning I, I tweeted something out because I noticed that our illustrious administration said that 99% of the cases of COVID in the United States are harmless. And it finally kind of got me angry and I responded to it and I try not to get too political, but at the end of the day for me, what I will tell you what got me through it. I was in lockdown at home. I was incredibly sick. I was fortunate and privileged enough to have an incredible group of doctors around me who kept me home and never let me go to the hospital. Uh, two doctors move. from the stock exchange and up, what's that? that was yeah, was, it saved I mean, my life. Real. Yeah. It, it saved my life. And I was lucky and privileged enough to have that. But while I was home and while I was alone, once I was really able to pick up my head at all, which took more than 30 or 40 days, uh, I was, I, I noticed, uh, that there were so many people I noticed I'm, I'm, and I don't go on Facebook much, but I noticed that there was a, um, a page that was brought up called Corona Survivors. And I, I was started to read that, um, that there were thousands and thousands of people who were experiencing what I was experiencing, but were at home alone and were f scared to death. They did not have the privilege I have of being a member of the stock exchange, of having had, had a father who was a well-known doctor, who had a team of five doctors who checked on me daily and kept me alive and kept my fear ratio down. And so I started to reach out and I realized I went out on social media and I went out on all the news stations uh, and I, I shared the story because I noticed that there were no, you know, we thought we got this impression that if you're old, you die. And if you're young, you get over it. But yeah. the people who are hundreds of thousands of people who are in recovery from the initial virus were not, their story was not being told. Right. And I know, learned in my life that sharing one's experience, strength and hope, identifying with another person, whether it's in grief, whether it's in recovery from all the other things that, you know, you recover from in life, that from one human being talking to another. Right. And sharing their experiences the way we get through these things. Yes. Right? I've learned it in grief and I've learned it along the road. And um, so I kind of went out and, you know, I was fearful that people go, why are you promoting this? And, but I realized that there were people who were not as privileged as me to have had all these doctors to walk me through this. That, and I was reading their stories online of people I had just, you know, one particular moving story was a young lady who had just buried her dad from COVID. Her mother was sick in a nursing home. Her husband just got diagnosed and she was a home with, alone with her two children. She was afraid to go to City MD. There was no testing. It was March. And I realized it, and I started reading stories and stories of people who were going through this who did not have a voice, right? We always, people who are inspirational like you, and I hope like me to some extent, sometimes, and our public figures, have the opportunity to be a voice when other people aren't, Yeah. right? We see that whether it's trying to talk about being a Jew or being a, a, a Holocaust survivor, second generation, or whatever our journey is and whatever the message is, to be the voice of those people who, who don't have a voice. So um, I started going out and sharing that, and I got an incredible response from the press, from, from, from social media, where people said, 
thank you for telling that message and your story because I'm at home and I'm scared and I don't know, you know, am, am I going to be one of those who die or am I going to be one of those who get better or am I going to be like you right now in a long-term recovery that is full of challenges, right? Yes. So for me, for me, sharing my story and my experience, I've learned, and this is sort of my most recent culmination of it, that by doing that, inspiring others to have a voice and to feel like, oh my God, me too, right? That's one of the greatest things that we can do when we share our story, whether it's full of challenges and obstacles or whatnot, and someone goes, oh my God, that's what I'm going through, that, that is, that's the cream on top of the coffee, right? Yeah, that you yeah. can get that identification and someone says, thank you. So while I was hunkered down alone at home, really, really sick, isolated from my family for two and a half months, I didn't see a soul. Wow. All of that inspiration from other people saying thank you for sharing that message, which sometimes is, you know, when you put yourself out there, you're always at risk of what, whatever is going on. So it's a scary thing to do. But I, once I took that step outside the door and said, I'm going to share my experience because not everyone has my privilege. Yeah. And I got back that message. That's what kept me going. That's, that's truly amazing. I mean, there has been quite crazy. These are, have been crazy times, no doubt about it. And, uh, and that being said, of course, the, the stock exchange, the stocks, the market has been, it's been wild since March, ups and downs and, and, and the points. And I'll be honest, I'll become off frank right now. I, I don't know too much about the stock market and, and, and the whole world of stocks and trading and such. And I think that's what's, what I really love about having this podcast with you is twofold, is one of which is your, is your personality, is your view on life in which you've been sharing such a positive viewpoint uh, from your upbringing, from your parents, how you you know, take on life in a positive manner and how you share your strength and hope with others. And also, of course, your knowledge of the stock market and being part of that world for so long. I know I and many people listening could be benefit a lot of, you know, your experience and perhaps some of your advice and your insight into this, this world. So that being said, what, 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 how have you been managing or what is, what is some advice? You what, the, what the heck is going on? What the heck is going on? What's going on? What the heck is going on? <laughs> I, I would be happy to share that. Let me put out a disclaimer that I am not a, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a stock picker and I'm not an investment advisor. So what I am is somebody who's been there for 35 years and has experience, has seen these movies before. And what I like to do is to, I forensically will break down markets on why they do what they do on a daily basis. I've never owned a share of stock in my life, so I've not invested in the stock market in that way. I am here to, be a, to, to try and um, uh, inspire people to, to get into markets because it's a great thing to do. So I, will, I, I would love to address the question you just asked. Uh, we are in extraordinary times, and they call for extraordinary measures, okay? I don't want this crisis to define people's experience within, within their lives going forward. Rarely, probably never before in history, has every single human being on earth been affected by a crisis before, right? Historically, we had what happened to the Jews, that happened to the Jews. What happened to the blacks, happened to the blacks, right? Everyone has had their challenges, devastating as they are, throughout history, but I don't think we've ever seen the earth scorched 
as it was. God has surely gotten the world's attention this time, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's go in and see how does that affect the stock market. So it's important for people to note, as confusing as it is, that we saw, and I'm going to get a little bit, uh, I'm going to get a little financial about it. I'm going to get a little uh, use of lingo, but I'll be try to be explain it to the newcomer the best way possible. We saw the stock market's been on a bit of a run here. I'm going to get technical. That was the term I was looking for. Okay. Um, uh, so the stock market over the last over the last number of years, the stock market has been on its way up. Okay. Historically, we note that we've had look, we had a, a depression and a crash in 1929. We had some challenges in the 50s and 60s. We rebuilt the United States through the Industrial Revolution. We had the crash of 1987. We had 9-11. We've had the financial crisis of 07-08. Historically, though, every one of those big sell-offs and those big crises have historically been buying opportunities, right? History has shown us that way, that net-net from the beginning to the end, the chart goes from the bottom left to the upper right. That's just, I'm trying to frame the situation, mm -hmm. okay? Um, uh, and so over the last number of years, we've seen an economy. Now it has not been the fortune of everyone. Surely it is more than 1% who has benefited from a strong stock market. But over the last number of years, and I would say since 07, 08, since the bailout of the financial crisis of 08, 09, the economy has been growing in a reasonable condition. We've got a lot of companies that have really uh, become incredible, re robust, the Apples of the world, the Amazon and the Googles of the world, right? So as stocks and as companies and as part of our economy, they've grown. They are people who employ a lot of people in the United States, the Shake Shacks, the Starbucks, all different levels of our economy, right? Some of the parts of the economy have suffered many parts of the economy have thrived. And I need people to understand my empathy is for the fact that I, I'm, I'm aware and honest about the fact that everybody participated in the roaring stock market that peaked on February 12th this year, right? And so that's one of my missions is to inspire young people to try and invest in their future and not invest in stuff. But that's another story. Okay. So let's go to where we were on February 12th. Okay, that, that's another message we can talk after I address the more technical question that you asked. But the market has been rallying up until February 12th, a strong market. Um, the employment numbers were fairly reasonable. Um, the economy seemed in good shape. We've had a number of years of some controversies between Brexit, North Korea, Chinese trade, and I'm getting technical for those who are watching that wonder why the market's doing what it's doing. Okay, for our for this part of our conversation. Sure. And on February twelfth, we, we 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 were not really aware of so the market peaked February twelfth. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, the Nasdaq, every financial instrument in the world, in the US, okay, at the in the New York Stock Exchange hit a record high on February twelfth. Okay. Uh, it was a robust economy, a robust market for, for some people, not for everyone, okay? It was the, 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 the virus was just starting to marinate around the world. It had surfaced in China. It was starting to come to Europe, right? People, unfortunately, in the Middle East, 
Greece, in Iran. Over the next six weeks, from February 12th until March 23rd, the reality of the economic and the uh, uh, personal and physical uh, implications of a pandemic going from an isolated epidemic to a global pandemic became real shit, if you'll excuse my expression. Yeah. The, the, the SI shit hit the fan, right? And right. as we saw that, it also hit the fan in the market. And we saw the market go from February 12th to March 23rd, tumbling 10,800 points, a fast and furious sell-off as the reality of the deaths around the world, as the reality of the full global economic implications of a global pandemic, right, which was highlighted on March 13th by our administration finally admitting, oh my God, we are in a pandemic, after resisting the call to action for January, February, and most of March. So the market careened off a cliff for all due correct reasons that, oh my God, people are dying in the tens of thousands. The economy is about to go shelter in place. And oh my God is what's going to happen. People on cruise ships are dying. People won't be able to get on planes. Retail is not going to be a viable source anymore. We've closed down the NBA and all sports activity. Nobody can go to Disney World. What is going to happen in this world? And since the stock market is based on consumerism, well, holy cow, now everyone is locked in their house and a very robust consumer environment which made February 12th with the only ability to be a consumer online and at home. But still, the reality of a complete global shutdown hit the stock market, okay? Indeed. March 23rd, we bottomed out temporarily. I don't know if it's going to happen again, but for the, our point of our conversation, we went from February 12th to March 23rd, selling off 11,000 points in all the indices, and we saw the market bottom out at, at, a, at a massive sell-off, multiple double-digit sell-off, okay? What happened on March 23rd that changed? Nothing changed economically. The world was starting to realize that we were in a massive economic shutdown. A global recession and depression was about to ensue. Yet, the United States economy, the Federal Reserve and this administration have tools that they can instill into the markets. We've seen them before and we saw it happen here. To protect markets and hopefully affect the economy. Markets and economy don't always go step in step. Sometimes the market goes up when the economy is strong, as we saw up to February 12th. But unfortunately, when, when reality of the economy, which there's no playbook to what's happened here, that we've never seen a pandemic, right? So this is all new rules, right? Mm. But we do have a playbook on what you do economic, at what you do with markets when there is a crisis. And what you do is you start giving stimulus. You start throwing money. At markets, you start pumping liquidity into the banking system. And that's what we saw happen by the Federal Reserve on March 23rd, the, amount, the announcement that we are going to put $5 trillion over a three to eight months period of time into the banking system, into the markets, into our balance sheet. The Federal Reserve decided to backstop this falling market. 
right? Hoping it would have an effect on the economy, which it hasn't had yet, okay? So from March 23rd until now, in the eyes of a completely devastated economy, 40 million people out of work, businesses that are trying to reopen that are not able to reopen, industries that may never see full, full, un, full employment again, the, the gaming industry, sports, uh, hospitality, airlines, energy, retail, food business. We may, never, we may see, it may take years before these things ever recoup any level of, of, of health, right? Sure. Yet the stock market, yet the stock market has rebounded 65% since March 23rd's bottom in the eyes of what we are still evolving on a day-to-day basis, right? You and I are talking July 5th. The, this, the virus is spiking everywhere, right? We, we are at record, record death rates. We are record infections here. We are, uh, so we need to realize that the Federal Reserve pumped money into the market, okay, with the hope of affecting the economy, but that's a longer-term situation. And so we have a market going up with an economy going down, right? So people need to understand that, right? There's a sort of, it may appear like the market doesn't have empathy for the people who are unemployed and all that stuff is. The bottom line is to protect the markets and the banking system and not have another financial crisis, okay? Because right now we have a health crisis with a deep economic crisis. But a financial crisis can be protected yeah. by pumping liquidity into the market, which is what the Federal Reserve does. How is My question is, what would, you know, with, with this going on now, what like new information do we have about the market um, and how it operates now before and after Corona? Like, you know, before now there was okay. flow, like what, what new information do we have now? Like, Oh, this is interesting. When this happens, this is, uh, this is how the market reacts. Okay. So we know that in 2007, when we had the banking failures, okay and the financial crisis of 07, that the Federal Reserve put together one point, a package, a stimulus package, right? A bailout package, a TARP package. That, back then, there was no playbook for that either. If you watch the movies about it, or you experienced it at all, we saw that the complete bank failure due to the credit default swaps and the mortgage crisis of 07, 08 had not been seen before. So suddenly they had to write a playbook. How do we bail out the banks? Because if not, we're going to see what happened in 1929 happen again. So they came up with an idea that they're going to take um, liquidity and pump it into the system, that they're going to take $1.8 trillion and they're going to, over 18 months period, bail out the banks, the insurance companies, and all the people, some responsible for their own service, some people were, were not, right? Some were just collateral damage. Right? Right. So they put that in. And oh, since 0708, for the last 15 years, we've seen that be a success. The companies like AIG and the banks were able to bail themselves out with the help of the Federal Reserve and grow to be robust, healthy companies again. Come the pandemic, we had a little bit of a playbook how you bankroll a, a, a economic and banking crisis. 
So the Federal Reserve this time said, we need this. This is way bigger than 07, 08. It's not only a financial crisis, because if we think about it, while the banks were failing, you could still fly planes. You could still go to the NBA games. You could still take a cruise ship. You could do those things were not affected, right? It was not a health crisis situation. We have a complete shutdown of the economy. What do we do as the Federal Reserve and the as the banks bank bank rollers of this crisis? Well, they said we're going to take five trillion dollars. We're going to pump it in on a much faster time, and we're going to hope that we can keep the stock market robust and healthy, and hopefully the economy will catch up with the stock market, and not that the stock market will catch up to a failing economy. I don't think we've seen this lived out yet, but what we need need to do for your audience who are wondering what to do now, it's hard to know. The ultimate question is this. The stock market goes up on stimulus and liquidity. The stock market goes down on fear and lack of hope, right? And reality of deaths and the pandemic. So we have a paradox now. We've seen while the market has rallied since March 23rd, we have seen it be fragile. It's not up on fundamentals. So depending on which voice is louder, the voice of liquidity and stimulus or the voice of fear and anxiety, every day is a different day. Two weeks ago, we saw a day of fear about the virus. The market went down 2,000 points. The next day, we saw hope because they said we were going to do a second stimulus. The market went back up. Then we saw a week of fear because the reopening wasn't working and there was a spike in the virus. The market went down. And then we're going to see the market do this roller coaster. So, as I said, I don't give investment advice. Long-term investment, I think, should not be um, uh, thrown by this. At the end of the day, as I described, historically, we know that the market will continue to go up. There will be life on the other side of this crazy town, and the economy will hopefully be rebounding and build up. So if you're looking for the long-term, don't watch the news. Don't look at your portfolio. Stay in it to win it, right? Got if it. you are a new young person wondering what to do with your future, I think you need to edu- educate yourself about uh, what, what life's going to look like on the other side of this. To take this time that we are shelter in place and find something you love to do, educate yourself about stock markets. You know, one of the things that I've been, uh, one of my messages and one of my pet projects that I've been doing now is trying to teach people. I've connected a group of people to uh, set up a school, an academy, to teach young people to day trade, right? So that while they're now at home, that maybe, you know, young people are the grandest of consumers. Young people are so bright and savvy. And some people are intimidated by the stock market, especially in times of crisis. So uh, trading and day trading particularly is a super exciting art. It's a super exciting skill. And so I've been taking my time as I've been starting to feel a little bit better in trying to set up a uh, connect people. Uh, a, a gentleman I've known for many years, uh, David Green, who runs a day trading school and a company called Wall Street University, who are young, Lat- they are part of an organization called Latino Wall Street. 
who have been educating the Latin community on how to trade, day trade. So I've put them together and we're trying to create a platform where young people can learn to take control of whatever income they have or any savings they have, to take this opportunity while we're still locked shelter in place because I don't yeah, see sure. things changing that quickly. A lot of people out of work, a lot of yeah. people working part-time, you know, a lot of people are wondering what's the world gonna look like on the other side? What can I do to invest in my future? And so day trading is one of the things I've been trying to help people learn about. But, you know, it's, um, these, are, these are fascinating times. You know, what we do now is going to define our future. True. So what, what is, for, for, those who don't, for those who don't know, I mean, what is, um, what is day trading? And what, ultimately, what is it that you do? You know, what is a stock trader doing on the floor? And that was segueing to my next question is, with all the apps now that are available, sort of like Robinhood and such, um, how, isn't it like, well, are you afraid of your own job? Is that your job going obsolete? Can we, someone do that through an app um, instead of going through somebody who's on the floor? Okay. So what do I do? Uh, as I said, I'm not an investor in the markets. I have learned a skill over these years to be a trader, trading other people's money. Okay. I'm not the decision maker on how it's done. I am the, what the floor of the New York Stock Exchange is. It's the point of execution of buying and selling stock. Yes, stocks can be done on apps. You can buy and sell hundreds of shares or create portfolios through a Robinhood, which is pretty you know, shaky in my opinion, uh, but I'm not gonna say anything bad about it. But whether you use other trading platforms or whatnot, or brokerage firms or what, whether it's an app or whether it's a brick and mortar, there are ways to invest in the stock market for sure. What we on the floor do, we represent hedge funds, high wealth people, institutions um, who are not buying and selling 100 shares of stock, but are, who are trying to create portfolios, whether they are long-term investors, different strategies of trading the market, okay? We thrive on volatility. We thrive on liquidity. And so do I feel my job is in jeopardy at all? Absolutely not. What, look, we've seen over recent history that with technology, and the event of computers and apps and all that stuff, that we are, I don't like to call us a dying breed by any means, but surely through mergers and acquisitions and technology, people are able to uh, uh, execute stock and, 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 and be investors through technology and not use the human element, okay? But what we saw happen when the stock exchange closed on, on uh, March 26th, was the, for the first time in history, uh, the human element was taken out of the point of execution, right? The floor, now markets didn't close on March 26th. The floor of the stock exchange closed. And why did that happen? Because we were at risk, we are risk averse to the health of the people who are on the floor in an industry where we are in each other's faces of all times. It was our time to shut the floor to protect the health of the brokers. However, what we saw in 9-11 is that the world is going to have crises where markets are going to be in question and that they put into place technology that if in fact what happened this time happens, which is what something that some people predicted, if in fact the floor of the stock exchange would ever have to close, taking the human element out of it, 
could we still run the markets electronically? Because the worst case scenario that you would ever want in a, in a global economy like we are now is for the market to be closed, that people would not have access to their money or to trade, right? What we saw in the crash of 29, the doors to the banks closed and there was a run on the banks. When people are, 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 have no access to their money and their, their assets, they freak out and they go crazy. So what the, and, and the economy is a lot more globally connected than it was in 1929. There's a lot more investment in this incredible, robust world and economy we have now. So for the stock market to have closed because of the pandemic would have been a disaster. So we closed the floor of the stock exchange to protect the personnel there, the brokers, the traders, the market makers, and everyone who is involved humanly. And we kept the markets open, which they created after 9-11, to be able to have a platform that in the event of a crisis and a pandemic, the markets would always be open and tradable, that people would always have access to their money, and that people would never have to feel that they were, they, had, they were not in control of their future. What we did see happen was the, the system that they put in place worked smoothly without us humans to the best of its ability. But we reopened on May 26th. My experience and the information that's come out of those two months that the market was, that the NYSE was closed to humans was that the volatility was much higher, the liquidity was at risk, and that while the markets did run smoothly electronically, that the human element, that human judgment was missed by the global investment community. Customers reached out to me, to everyone on the floor, to the powers that be at the New York Stock Exchange and said, we're so grateful that you made us have access to our money during the pandemic, but we want the people back. We want those characters back. We want the human element back. And so they brought us back within the realm of healthy uh, uh, apparatus that they've created. I'm not back on the floor yet. They're, we're only running at a 30% employment now to protect uh, uh, um, uh, social distancing sure. and mask use and temperature taking, but that instantly the global investment community has shown their glee and happiness that the human element, the human judgment is back on the floor to whatever extent it is, and that slowly as New York reopens and that we're able to develop a healthy environment for more brokers to come back, we will, and it will have a more positive effect. There's not only uh, are the people back, but the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, what, how we started our conversation, you said you came down there and you felt the magic and the energy and Absolutely. the adrenaline and the human factor, okay? That will never change, and that's what people miss, right? And that has been felt by the global community. So while it's just a, you know, you, uh, there's more to the room than just a financial institution. The people and the energy and the judgment and the human element inside that room are historic and are necessary, right? And we'll be back in full force as soon as we can. And so that's the scenario. But you said, you, right, I hear that. And 
That's incredible, and um, and I could definitely attest to to the energy and, and what the the human element brings to to the floor. Well, you said it's interesting. You were so involved in this for so many years, and and you have so much knowledge around stocks. Curious to know, and you and you give advice about stock um, day trading and such, but yet you don't have any skin in the game. You don't have your own stocks. So okay, so I never advise people on stocks. I tell people what the market, why the market did what it did. I never pick a stock and I don't give investment advice. So the reason I haven't, yeah, what? Yeah. First of all, I'm not, I'm not, I, it's just not what I do. That's not my game. Right. I'm there to represent the the customers of the company I work for and to take their advice and, and be the point of execution for them to buy and sell stock. I'm a trader. I'm not an advisor. Okay. For why I have no skin. I my the skin I have in the game is to represent and to my fiduciary responsibility to the customers of the company I work for to do the best thing at the point of execution to be there and to make it a seamless uh, interaction between buyers and sellers in an auction market. For me, money is a very funny thing for the human being per se. We all know that. It can become very meaningful to some people. It can, in fact, be their motive, right? Greed, right? If you go back to the original Wall Street movie with Michael Douglas, greed, for a lack of a better word, is is good. Well, that may not always be the case. But I've found historically for myself that if I'm, first of all, we are regulated. When I'm trading stocks for customers of the company I work for, I cannot be involved in those stocks for myself, okay, for a certain period of time. That would be a conflict of interest. If I had a portfolio that I was managing for myself and my family, and I was involved in stocks for the, the, the customers of the company I work for, that chatter, that voice would be louder than the one I would be, because we know how we are about money. If I was worried about my profit and loss on my own portfolio, it would take away and it would detract from the focus and the integrity that I would have protecting my company's customers, okay? And so I've always found that, and that's been my preemptive uh, plan of action, okay? And on the other hand, to be perfectly honest, I grew up in New York. I live in Manhattan. I have two college graduate children who I've invested in, and I learned that in education through my parents that they invested in me, they invested in their kids' education. So the money that I've made over these years, and I haven't always been successful. There were years I've had on Wall Street that were not particularly prosperous. I've had challenges along the way, but I knew that I wanted my kids to graduate school with no debt. So I have a 23-year-old daughter who graduated school with no debt. I have a 25, 26-year-old son who graduated college with no debt. He is now my partner. And he works with, within the company that I work with on the floor. And he's actually running some of my, doing my trading now while I'm still in recovery from COVID and that we are still on a skeleton crew from the stock exchange. So that is the freedom. That is the, you ask me what I invest in. I invested in my kids and in my family. And so that's the skin I have in the game. That's huge. That's okay. That's yeah. incredible. And that's, that's, that in itself is right. Everybody has their, that's their, my, tr- that's my truth. That's, and that's so important. Like it is, it is so true. The, the best investment one can do is to do is to invest in themselves. And so um, if it, I suppose I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you're saying if you had a certain amount of money, 
whether to put that into the stocks or whether it's doubling down on your own self, whether it's in some education or, or to grow in some profession, perhaps you would say, do that. Well, one of, one of my, one of the things that I, look, I, I, uh, I love mentoring young people about the stock market. I love, for me, the floor of the stock exchange, which you felt that energy there is also for me, uh, branding and marketing uh, is something that excites me. The adrenaline of the floor and the human element excites me. But what I find is consumerism, right? And people's loyalties to brands and the things that they buy is fascinating to me. All those companies that we trade, right? So you may have some complete novices on the podcast who are going like, so what is the stock market? What are those stocks? What are they? And when young people come down to the floor and I take them around on tours all the time, right? Just out of, out of, out of just my love of listening to young people and what they think, they say to me, Peter, well, what stock should I buy and what's going to go up? And I say to them, you can tell me more about what stocks to buy than I can tell you because you are the consumers of the world. So I always say to them, walk down the street and look at what sneakers the kids are wearing, what uh, your friends are wearing, what phone you have, uh, what clothes you wear and what computer you use, what social media you're on and what games you play. And if you do that, you will know that you're going to pick Apple, Nike, you know, uh, uh, Electric Arts, uh, Facebook or Facebook or Instagram, and what hamburgers you eat, you know, and what sports events you go to. Those are the companies that are so robust and healthy because we are a consumer-based society. And then what I try to instill in young people is another thing, to invest in stock, not stuff, okay? So people are, we are consumers almost to, to a detriment to ourselves in such a way that we may have the iPhone 7 and it's nothing wrong with it, but the iPhone 8 comes out and we have to have it. We have a beautiful pair of sneakers, but the next Yeezys come out and we have to go out and buy them. Or the next computer, the, 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 the Notebook 3 or the Notebook 4, or whatever it is, the next best thing that comes out, we need to own it yesterday. And I learned from a friend of mine, Fabian, on the floor of the Stock Exchange, and this is how he's taught his children and taught me that one of the great things is, if you think about it, we don't really need the next thing today or tomorrow, even though we feel the urge to have it, right? If we were to stay with our iPhone 7, and I'm dating myself because I imagine there's an iPhone 11 already, but if we hold on to the phone we have and we invest, buy one share of Apple stock with that $1,000 you buy the new phone with, in a, in historically, if you follow history, in a year's time, you'll be able to buy three iPhones. And if you don't buy that next pair of sneakers just because it just came out and you invest in one share of Nike, in a year you'll be able to buy three pairs of Nike. You know what I'm saying? So to invest in your future, to invest in stocks, not stuff, to just be a little resistant to your next impulse, to buy the next thing just because it's out. And this is not something I'm telling a 30-year-old. I'm telling a kid, right, um, to save your money, right? To you know, to not uh, uh, to, to you know, uh, disposable income, right? You know the things that we don't always have to have the next up. And you know there are incredible opportunities now within the investing space, whether it's a Robinhood or whether it's an Acorn or whether it's a Goldilocks. There are these incredible apps where you can 
round up your purchase at Starbucks and have 58 cents and put it into a Acorn account and it goes into the market or to open up a small app where you can put $5 a week and it goes into the stock market or you can have organ you can have apps that curate small little trading portfolios where you as a little kid can take your allowance that your parents give you or if you're a young entrepreneur and you're buying and selling sneakers and you save some money and you put it in the market there are incredible things that weren't around when you and I were a kid right and I'm a lot older than you but there are opportunities now to invest in our future not who, who the guy the guy who dies with the most toys is not necessarily the winner okay somebody who has a, takes this opportunity to invest in their future to build a nice life for their family a day at a time to to able to be of service to other people to create a nice uh, nest egg to support their family so protect their parents and 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 to and, and be of service to others in lots of ways that's what this whole thing's all about the journey of life for me right and i haven't always always been that way and i'm not saying that i'm so special but i've learned along the way that to find joy in another person and to share your experience strength and hope with others and when everybody is is flourishing it's a lot more fun than sitting out on that fancy boat all by yourself with a fancy car while everyone else is not doing as well. Through that, through that. All right, all right, Peter, thank you so much. I, let me ask you one last question. What is a great day for you? That's a great question. I love that. Thank you so much. Uh, a great day for me. Um, wow, what a fantastic question. Um, so, you know what? Uh, if interacting with another human being, having a positive effect on someone else, being of service. You know, I learned that from my, my dad and I've learned that from whatever spiritual practices I follow along the way on this journey. You know, a random act of kindness, one of the great things I learned from the Kabbalah back in the day, a random act of kindness will keep you in the light. Doing something against your lower nature will also keep you in the light. You know, what, you know, if bringing joy to another person, putting a smile on someone else's face. And as I said, just being prosperous and standing alone with all your toys does not bring me joy, right? If I can put together a team of people to be of service and be kind to others and try and I, look, you know, I, I like to be profitable. I like to, I like to uh, 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 avail people of all of my things that I've learned along this way, you know, and, um, but, you know, money isn't everything, but it surely is helpful, right? And, um, but kindness and joy and being of service, right, are so huge. And I've learned that. And, you know, it's, it's sort of a kitschy line in so many ways. But you can bring joy. You know what? You look, go along this path. You know, you know you, you, it's so important. So, so a good day for me is I wake up and I pray, first of all, okay? And then I go to work. And all along the way on my way to work, I try and bring a smile to as many people's faces as I can. And then I get to work and I'm working with other human beings who I love, right? Some who I don't like all the time, but who I love because they're my team, the people on the floor of the stock exchange. As I said to you, if you find something you love to do, you'll never work a day in your life. And we have a great premise on the floor of the exchange. What goes on from nine to four, whether it's good or bad, ends at four o'clock. 
In the heat of battle, a lot of things happen. We interact, we get in each other's way and we get on each other's nerves. But it's that, that energy between two human beings, sharing your experience with them and, and strength and hope is the key to it. At the end of the day, try and bring a little joy back to your family, right? And be of service to others, you know? And, and not, we're not an island here. You know, it's, 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 it's sharing and kindness and love and, and, and education. That's what brings me a beautiful day. And then you know what? And then you go home and you can sleep. Sleep comfortably and put your head on the pillow and know you've done the right thing. Amazing, Peter. Amazing. Thank you so much. How could people find you? Where can they see, find your, um, your pages and social media and, and follow your journey? So on social, on Instagram, it's Einstein of Wall Street. Uh, on Twitter, it's Einstein O Wall Street. Uh, LinkedIn, it's Peter Tuckman. Um, and I'm easy to find. You Google me, you'll find me, right? And I'm always available to talk if anybody needs me. Amazing. Peter, thank you so much for your insight, for your energy, and for just being an incredible light in this world. It's a real pleasure to know you, my friend, and I wish you lots of success and health and happiness. And I look forward to seeing you back in the real world so I could give you a big old hug. Same to you, Meyer. Same to you, Meyer. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you. Be good. See you soon. You too, buddy.